kids, we're going to welcome Sid here. Uh, Sid's generally asleep at this time in the afternoon because he's been binging on bananas. I'm going to see if we can wake him up. Does that sound all right? So what we're going to do is say, one, two, three, wake up Sid. Does that sound reasonable? Yep. Okay. One, two, three. No. Oh, well, there we go. It went exactly as the computer's been going, actually. Uh, how about we have another go, kids? One, two, three. It's getting closer. Okay, adults, you might have to join in with us just yes. to kind of speed yes. this part along. Uh, one, two, three. I am awake. How do you think I'm talking to you? <laughs> hey, Sid, it's great to see you. Hi, Stuart. Do you want to hear my special Christmas greeting? I would love to hear your special Christmas greeting, Sid. Kids, tomorrow when you've had lots of Christmas lunch, you have to use your special Christmas greeting. Which is? (laughs) It means that you appreciate the food and it's a compliment to the host. Is that right? Does anyone here feel they need to compliment the host at the moment? No, good. I'm very pleased that no one can do that on demand. That's pick fantastic. me, pick me. Pick, yes, Sid? Uh. Oh. oh, Sid. I don't know what you've been eating, but that does not smell very good at all. Hey, ah. Sid, uh, now that we've taught the kids a whole bunch of manners, how to say thank you when they're uh, having their Christmas dinner, yes. uh, do you think that we should explore a little bit of that reading that we just heard, that, that Janine was hearing? Yes, an important part of the Bible was, was read out for us. Very nicely, by the way. Fantastic. Thank you, Janine. Apparently you did it very well. Sid is a connoisseur, as you can tell, yes. of all things refined. Uh, so he says that you've read very well, which is excellent. Uh, so kids, we're going to think a little bit about the reading that we just heard. And we're going to start, I think, uh, Paul, if you can press the button, uh, with the first part of the reading. Oh, actually, it's good news. Did anyone know it was good news? Can you see the good news up there? We're going to talk about good news this afternoon. We're going to talk about the first part of the reading there were some people, kids, that were outside. Sid, can you think who the people were who were outside? Explorers. There were some explorers outside. Yeah, does that sound right, kids? Oh, wait. They had the shepherds. That's right. Shepherds. That's right. There were shepherds. Uh, yes. Paul, if you can press yes. the button for me. Uh, so, kids, can someone read out what it says up here? Can someone read it for me? Yes, girls, go for it. What's it say? Ah. Now, Sid, you're a gorilla. Yes. Uh, what, do you, what do you do at night? Sleep and eat bananas. Same thing I do in the daytime, really. Sleep and eat bananas. What, do you, some... reckon, what do you reckon sheep do at night, Sid? Be bad and naughty. <laughs> do you reckon... Well, that, that probably sounds like bedtime at my house, actually. Um, kids, do you think sheep are naughty at night? Are they naughty at night? No, I've got some kids doing these ones and a little bit of this as well. No, they're oh. not. They're not. They're not naughty at night. So here's the thing I wonder, Sid. Yes. Why are they being watched over at night? To make sure they're good sheep and go to sleep and don't run off. Oh, okay. So the shepherds are there going, hey, sheepies, you need to be good. You need to be quiet. You need to not run off. So that's what they were doing. The shepherds were out there. They were out in the open and they were what, Sid? Sounds basically like Parenting. Parenting. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Is anyone going to take their kids out in the open anytime soon in the Christmas holidays? Yes. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, cool. That sounds pretty good. So the shepherds were watching their sheep? They, yep, and not washing their socks at night. I don't Is know anything right? about that. They weren't washing their socks, no. they were watching their flocks. That's yes, very good. Yes. Okay, so the, uh, the shepherds are out there keeping watch over their flocks at night. Uh, what happened next, kids? What happened to the shepherds? They're watching the sheep, watching the sheep, listening to the sheep snore, I guess. 
What happens next? Huh. What happens to the shepherds? What do they... Sorry? Oh, Sid's gone. Sid does what he likes. You should he do that He does by now. largely do what he likes. Uh, I, I, what, what happens next, kids? The shepherds are out there. They're looking at the sheep. What happens next? Yes? Absolutely. Is that what you were going to say over there? Angels? Is that right? Angels appear. And uh, that's, actually, that's actually pretty awesome. Angels appear. Is that right, Sid? Yes. And so what do they look like? Tinkerbell? Maybe. Do, do, do angels look like Tinkerbell? What, what do they look like, Sid? I think in the Bible they're big, strong warriors, and they're pretty scary because the angel keeps on having to say, don't be afraid, when he turns up, which means he probably has to work on his turning up act. He's too scary. <laughs> Do you think the way that the angels appear is scary? Because, well, yeah. They're big, they're big and impressive, and they shine with heaven's glory. Big and impressive, and they shine with heaven's glory. Absolutely. I've got an angel down here. You've got an angel. Yes. He's big, and he's scary, and he'll have to say, do not be afraid. And he has wings. I don't know if they have wings, but he has wings. <laughs> oh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Do Who not be afraid. I just want to eat you. <laughs> uh, so, so, kids, do you reckon angels look like dragon? No. No, I don't think they look like dragon. But you said, Sid, something that angels are, which, which no one normally thinks about. Angels yes. are what? Big and Big. strong warriors, and they shine with heaven's glory. And so they're a bit scary. So when you see an angel, you're, you don't go, oh, it's Tinkerbell. What you do is you go, ah, it's an angel. Is that right? And then you realize that they are a bit scary and impressive, but they just want to tell you a message from God. And so you have to listen. So then you go, oh, okay. What have you got to say, Mr. Angel? Is that basically it? Yes, I Excellent. Think so. Hey, Paul, if you put our next thing up, kids, can you read with me what's up on the screen here? What's it say? An angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were they were terrified. Their knees were knocking. No, I don't know whether their knees were knocking at all, but it says they were terrified. So, Sid, yes. so far we've got shepherds, we've got angels, and we've got a whole bunch of fear floating around the place. What happens, what happens next in our story, do you think? You've got the Bible. Oh, I've got the Bible. Have I got a Bible? Why are you asking the puppet what happens oh, yeah, in the story? That's true. Everyone's got a Bible. Why don't you look it up with me? What, what happens next, guys? What, what's the next part of the story? The angel tells some news or something. Yeah, the angel tells some news. But uh, I don't know what that is because I can't read. I can only uh, listen. Something about the economic downturn in China yes. endangering our um, steel industry, I think. Is that right? I'm sure that's exactly what the angel said. Is that said. the news that the angels announced? No. It wasn't that news, was it? They actually had great news to announce. Um, they had really good news, I think. Uh, Paul, if you can hit our next thing up. What was the good news that they had to, uh, to announce? Have a look up here, kids. It says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I bring you good news yes. that will cause great joy for all the people. Happy news. It's really good news for all the people if they accept it. Good news for all the people if they accept it. Yes. So... Good news. There's absolutely good news to come. And the good news has three parts to it, I think you said to me earlier, Sid. Let's have yes. a look. Three parts. It's good, good news. It's good news. It's good. And the second thing is that somebody's coming. Who is coming? Somebody's coming. Somebody. Uh, sorry, the... Madison? Jamie, is that right? You're right. The answer's always Jesus, isn't it? Yes. Who's coming, kids? 
It's better than that. It's not that he's coming. He's arrived. He's arrived. When did he arrive, Sid? I don't know. You've got the Bible. Ah. Why don't you look at it? Well, the Bible tells me he arrived about 2,000 years ago. Can we put that up ah. on the screen? It actually tells us what kind of person comes. It actually says, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. A saviour. Yes. Whenever we think of a lifesaver, I think of a little hat that's got orange and red on it. Is that right? He Kids? saves you from the sea. That saves you from the sea. Yes, but what? this is a different saviour. A different kind of saviour. What does he save you from? Saves people from their sins. Not from the sea, but from their sins. That's very good. So we have a, we have a saviour who's born, whose name is Jesus, and he is the... What's the word in blue, kids? It's a big word. What's it say? He's a massager. Is that right? Messiah. No, I don't know what that means. It means, it means oily-headed one. Oily-headed one. It does. That's what it means. Oily-headed one. Come so on, don't, let me have my he oily He was born without a yellow and red cap, but he had dandruff? Is that kind of what we're saying? No. In the, in the Old Testament... Oh, oh, right. Sorry, I'll the look way, that up. The way that they appointed a king to say, this man will be the king next, is they put some oil on his head. They anointed him with oil. And Messiah means anointed one, or anointed with oil, or oily-headed one. Very who is good. Who's going to be king? So the one who is born was the oily-headed one yes. who was the saviour of the world. Well, he would be one day, but That's he's only a baby good. at that point. That's pretty good. So he was, uh, his name was Jesus. He's the Messiah. Paul, can you go to the next one, please? It tells us a little bit more. Something about the way that he came. So if the oily-headed king had come, where would we expect him to be born? In a kingdom, yes. Somebody over there said where? What did you say, Madison? Yeah. In a manger. Now, Sid, yes. you're familiar with animals. Yes. What's a manger for? Eating out of. That's right. It's a food trough. So we've got a baby bear here, which is... I don't, I don't think that's quite right, but we'll put the baby bear there for a second. Hey, Stuart. Yes? I can lend you an animal. Oh, great. Ah, oh, sheepy. Fantastic. He ran off when the angel came. <laughs> Shepherds didn't do a good enough job, obviously. No. Okay, here we go. Uh, here's a sheepy. So normally, what would, what, would, what would a manger be used for is this. Can you make the sound effects for me, Sid? If I could see. Oh, we're doing eating things. My, eye, Sid. my eyes may, are made of glass. Are you ready? Here we go. Can you hear that, kids? That is a full reenactment right here. That's indistinguishable from actual reality. Don't eat the baby! Don't eat the baby! Yeah, don't eat the baby. Very good. Thank you. Thank you, Sid. Okay, so so a manger is normally a place where you do what? Eat food. Animals eat food. You don't eat food. Gross. (laughs) Um, So a manger is normally a place where you eat food. What was in this manger, kids? A baby bear. Well, baby (laughs) Jesus. That's really unusual. The baby bear is a very disappointing prop at this point, isn't yes. it? <laughs> Particularly with a Santa hat on. We're sending all sorts of contrary messages. But anyway, the point, the point is, something extraordinary happened. A king, an oily-headed one, was born, Sid. Yes. And he was laid in a... And he would be the king. Okay, so if we're going to call the Messiah the oily-headed one, what yes. we're going to do is we're going to call the manger the animal food trough. Yes. Okay, you ready? So I'm going to tell you the incredible good news of Christmas is that the oily-headed one 
was laid in the animal food trough. How does that sound? And you'll be king one day. And you'll be a king one day. That is absolutely awesome. In fact, Sid, yes. over here, yes. here is the king, the anointed one, the one who is going to one day be the saviour of the world. And so right here, I've got a little pun for you. Right here in Jesus is the way in the manger. Are you really trying to move to a song now? Oh, yeah, I am, actually. That's my well, that's sweet segue, well you see. So, so here, here, we have Jesus is the way to God. The way to God. And where is he, kids? He's in the... Manger. Animal food trough is yes. where we're going Animal now. food that trough. That's just for that's all the advanced kids, okay, right? So the, the way to God is lying in a manger. So I'd say, Sid, that it's a, it's a way in the manger. It's the way in the manger. The way in Jesus the manger. Jesus is the way into God's kingdom. Fantastic. Kids, should we sing a song that you know? No, that wasn't good. Um, adults, I'm going to end our segment here uh, with uh, agreement from the kids. So we're going to sing now a way in a manger. Does that sound good? Okay, very good. Uh, thanks, Sid. Can we say goodbye to Sid? Bye. My name is Matthew. I'm the associate pastor here. I'm very glad you've joined us for Christmas. It's really uh, wonderful to see a bunch of faces. Many of you I don't know. If you're a guest, you got invited here today. Um, thank you for coming. Thanks for saying yes. Uh, it is wonderful that you're here today. Um, I'm going to, for the next little while, um, talk about that passage that we looked at before. Uh, Christmas is about remembering Jesus. And that's what I want us to focus on now. And I want us to think about... Um, uh, what Jesus is about today. Um, earlier we, we had the, the Bible read at the beginning, right? And then we had a puppet interact with it, right? And, you know, you might have enjoyed that. You might not have. It wasn't really for you anyway. Here's, here's the thing, though. Um, there's a big danger being an adult at Christmas. The danger is we think it's kid stuff. Aren't we in that danger? How many times have you heard of those characters sung in songs? You've seen puppet shows. You've seen nativity scenes. You've seen cute things that kids are attracted to. And you think, you start feeling, this isn't for adults. This is kids' stuff. It's a tremendous danger at, at Christmas time. Um, we're going to look at, at this part at uh, Luke chapter 2. The reason we're looking at it, you might not realise it. If you haven't got a Bible, we're on the chair there. You might as well open it up on page 1027 and see the passage. The reason I want us to focus on this thing is because it's actually a very serious historical document. You may not know this. But this is a document that real academic historians have to take seriously and engage with. People claim this really happened, and this really is from that time in history. So these claims are by people at that time in history claiming something extraordinary happened. And it's a serious document that real historians have to take seriously. But immediately you're going, I'm an adult, I'm enlightened, (laughs) hopefully more than kids with puppets. Um, That passage, um, it it talked about, um, you know, like angels and God and fulfilled prophecy. Surely at that point, you can't take it seriously. It's just made-up stuff. But see, that's exactly the point, friends. These people, these eyewitnesses, thought they hadn't made it up, they hadn't imagined it, they thought it really happened. And they thought it was extraordinary. They didn't live in a land of dragons and wizards. They thought this was weird. They had never seen anything like this before. And they realised that it was so extraordinary that people had to know. See, I, I, I have a serious intellectual moment. Part of the, um, the problem in our society is that we're very influenced by this philosophy called materialism. Materialism, not the type where you, 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 you shop lots. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I'm talking about being a materialist in terms of believing that the physical world is everything that exists. Being committed 
intellectually that physical stuff, stuff you can touch, stuff that science can measure is all that exists. And it's a philosophical position a lot of people sort of assume. Um, and so they hear things about God and angels and fulfilled prophecy, which is beyond physical stuff, and they assume automatically that's made up, right? Do you, do you get a feel for the type of thing I'm talking about? It's very common in our society. We need to re- recognise, though, materialists don't have any proof that nothing supernatural exists. They just assume that nothing supernatural exists. We need to own that. It's not as strong a position as you think. I'd like to just try to get a couple of definitions really clear because part of the confusion is that materialists often act like science is on their side. How often have you heard things like this? You hear somebody say, "Um, science has proved that miracles can't happen. Science has proved that God doesn't exist and can't exist. That's not a scientific statement. That's a materialist statement. It's a philosophical thing. Let me distinguish the two. Science is the discipline of investigating the physical world through observing it and experimenting on it. Science studies natural physical things. It isn't interested or capable of talking about supernatural things. Materialism, though, isn't a discipline. It's a philosophy that believes that the physical world is all that exists. And that's why materialists, they mix mix them up and say, science disproves God. No, it doesn't. Science isn't interested in God. Science measures physical things. That's all science can do, and it's, it's very important, but it can't talk about angels. The only way that science could talk about angels, you know what it is, don't you? By capturing one and putting it in a room and doing experiments on it, but then you will have proved that angels exist. But do you see the point that I'm making? When people come to this sort of story, this historical account, and they hear God, fulfilled prophecy, angels, and they think supernatural things can't exist, I say, how do you know that? Be open that materialism, this philosophy of materialism, may not be true. In fact, I'm certain that it's not true. I'm not saying you should just believe anything about supernatural claims. Um, I'm actually a really sceptical person. <laughs> it takes a lot to convince me of anything. Um, if you want to engage at that kind of historical level about the truth of this stuff, we've got some good books you could read, that kind of thing. I don't want to talk about that at length because it's not what I want to focus on today. But there's a wealth of good information out there. And so if you as an intelligent adult are struggling with, I don't know if this stuff's true, I don't know if I can believe in supernatural things, we've got some stuff that could probably help you wrestling with that some more. But I just want to say, don't, don't think you can't be an adult and believe in supernatural things. It's actually, uh, it's, it's not the case at all. Now, it's written down because it really happened. It's extraordinary. It's worth paying attention to. Here's the second danger I think we have as adults when we about not taking this, uh, the Bible seriously here. Maybe you believe it's true. Maybe you believe it's historical. Maybe you believe it really happened. But maybe you're satisfied to leave it at that and for it to have no further impact on your life. It's just history. It's just in the past. It's just something that happened. Here's the problem. The people who wrote this down in the Bible didn't write it down because they were just conscientious historians thinking we'd like the story. The reason they wrote it down is because this is world-shattering news, world-changing news, and every human being needs to hear it and have their lives changed by it. The facts about Jesus make a personal claim on each and every one of us on me, on you, on those people who wouldn't come to church today and aren't interested in Jesus. Jesus has a personal claim on them too. Doubtless the level of interest in this room in Jesus varies from person to person. Some of you, you're just hearing some of this stuff for the first time. Some of you, it's really familiar. Some of you are really committed to Jesus. Um, Whoever you are, wherever you're at, I'm really glad you're here. I really sincerely am. Um, What I want to say to you though is uh, I'm going to make some big claims about Jesus today. 
and I think they're true, and I think you need to respond to them. And I'm going to give you the opportunity afterwards to respond to what I say, and at very least to invite you to start a journey of checking out Jesus more today, because I think you need to check him out, I think you need to take him seriously and respond to him the right way. Because one of the really outrageous things Christianity claims is that everybody does. Everybody needs to respond to Jesus. I know it's a big claim, but there it is. Let me tell you, uh, retell this this account of what these shepherds experienced. Tell it slightly differently so you can just think it through. Um, Imagine it's a really ordinary night, a really ordinary night for these shepherds. uh, There's a bunch of shepherds in a field. They're a few miles outside the town of Bethlehem. They're watching sheep in the middle of the night. Um, These are really ordinary men. Uh, in industrial type terms, we'd call them blue collar workers, I suppose, or they're farmers, I guess, aren't they? They're, they're, they're looking after sheep. But they're doing difficult, dirty work on the outskirts of society. They've been here hundreds of times before. It's pitch black. They're a few miles from Bethlehem. They probably can't tell Bethlehem's there, except they know where it is. I mean, lo- towns in those days didn't let off much light at night. They watch sleep in the wilderness during the longest, loneliest watches of the night, waiting for the sun to come up, and it was just completely dark. Lots of stars. You know, you can see lots of stars when you're in the country. Must have been pretty awesome. But in an instant, that dark, dark night couldn't have been more different. The scene exploded with light as an angel came among them. Here is a being that these guys probably believed in. They probably believed angels existed. I'm pretty sure they did. But they never expected to see one for themselves. Heaven so rarely appears on earth, much less in their dull, everyday scene that they live in. Of course, they weren't thinking about the percentage chance that they would ever meet an angel. They were terrified, like the puppet said, and actually got right. People are pretty afraid when they meet angels. It's, it's like the angels need to work on their, you know, grinning line. They always have to say, do not be afraid, because they're terrifying. <laughs> it's, it keeps seeing to happen in the Bible. And as the shepherd's eyes adjusted from pitch black night mode to staring at the sun mode, the angel told them something extraordinary. And it's right there in your Bible. In um, verse 10... If you've got a Bible, have a look what it says. The angel said, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, that's Bethlehem, a couple of miles away, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a food trough. We're just going to go with that because that's what it is. It's a food trough. Manger is a bit of a, a quaint old word, really. Next thing you know, there's a great heavenly army of angels around them, filling every bit of space there was, and all the angels are singing, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. I'm one of these people that love music. Um, I've been to some great concerts. I think you go to a really great concert, and you will remember it for the rest of your life. Um, I, I reckon, Any of you music people, can you remember concerts that you just remember for the rest of your life at all? Artists that you love, and they just did the sort of job people talk about. People talk about Queen at Wembley Stadium in 1986. People talk about Michael Jackson at Bucharest in 1992. These are like magnificent spectacles. But the most breathtaking concert in history appears to have only been witnessed by a handful of scruffy Israelite shepherds. I just find it extraordinary as a music lover. I hope they appreciated it. But what was most amazing wasn't the angels singing prowess. Or it was the content of what they said. It was a promise from God's own mouth. God has given his favour to humanity in this baby and this baby will bring peace on earth. It's such a common sentiment now that I don't know that we hear it. 
peace on earth. It's what you say at New Year's, it's what you say at Christmas, it's what John Lennon sung about at Christmas. Like, it's, it's so sentimental now that we don't know how to think about it seriously, I think. But angels don't get excited for no reason. They weren't just talking about a cute feeling. They, weren't, they also weren't talking about something we, you and I, are supposed to achieve. Did you know that? They're not saying, Jesus is here, therefore you lot get out and fix the world. It's actually a promise of what God's going to do and what God's going to do through this baby that's been born in Bethlehem. God will bring peace to the world through this child. And peace in the Bible doesn't just mean lack of fighting. You think of Australia, we're a country at peace, right? Well, not according to the Bible's definition of peace. There's violence everywhere in Australian society. There's people in our prisons. There's all kinds of horrible violence that doesn't get picked up by the cops and and people end up in jail. We're not at peace. When the Bible talks about peace, it means harmonious relationships between everything that exists. This child, Jesus, will bring harmonious relationships between all that exists, peace on earth, comprehensive, everything. And God has committed himself to doing that. But think it through. What would it take to remove evil from the world fully comprehensively to have peace on earth? What would it take? I couldn't be part of it. And you could not be part of it either. Because I dare say that you contribute to what's wrong with the world. I dare say that you contribute to what's wrong with your relationships. I dare say that like me, you so often defy the God who made you. It's what the Bible calls sin, being a sinner, being guilty before God. And if there's going to be peace on earth that's real and comprehensive, I can't be part of it unless Jesus forgives me and changes me. And that's why Jesus makes a claim on everyone because he's going to bring peace on earth that's comprehensive and if people are to be part of it, they need to know him. They need to know the forgiveness he offers and they need to know his promise that he'll remake them so that they, they can be part of his new creation, his new world. The shepherds set out for Bethlehem as fast as they could. When God tells you the most important event in history is beginning to unfold and it's just a couple of miles away, you, you get on your bike if you've got one. You know what I mean? Like you, you, I hope they took the sheep with them because they'd be in danger out there. But they went pretty fast and they ran to Bethlehem. And as they walked, their minds must have churned over the way the angel had described this baby. And I think it's going to come up on the screen right here. Good. Saviour. A word that had always been used in the Bible for the great ones that God raises up to defeat their enemies, the enemies of his people to save his people, to rescue them from danger, in this case, from sin and judgment. He's called the Christ, or the Messiah. It's the same word, it means the same thing. The king of God's people. God had once promised that there'd be an eternal king who would rule forever and bring peace on earth. And he's here finally, but possibly most extraordinary. They call him Lord. And it's a word the Bible most often uses for God, actually. And maybe they're confused by that, but this baby is the Lord, is what they were told. Sovereign authority over all things, a human being destined to rule everything and bring peace on earth. Must have been an exciting conversation. And being suitably motivated, they made it to Bethlehem. They went looking around. It's really strange how they looked around for for, for the baby. They were looking for a combination of two things, newborn, food trough. That's the evidence they had. Here's the sign for you, the angel says, newborn, food trough. And they went around asking newborn food trough and people pointed the way eventually and they found him. A newborn wrapped in strips of cloth in a food trough in an animal room 
born to a couple of out-of-town peasants. And he's the source of the angel's joy. It's extraordinary. A a grubby out-of-town peasant. The saviour of the world. (laughs) God's son comes in humility to the world. There was nothing impressive about this event, but heaven had interpreted this event that night to those shepherds. This is the saviour of the world. This is God's promise fulfilled. This is the saviour, the Christ, the Lord. And here's the really exciting thing. The angel said, he's born to you. He's for you. It's not just there's this awesome ruler and you should just know about it. He's for you. Accept him. Go to him. Serve him. Trust in him for he offers you salvation. Everyone was amazed by what they heard. God's great gift had finally arrived, but the life of Jesus had only just begun. He actually grew up. (laughs) Baby Jesus didn't stay baby Jesus. His mission was to come to die on a cross, a Roman cross, to die for our sins, to die in our place. He died in my place for my sins, the punishment that I deserve. And being the sinless son of God, he didn't stay dead. Jesus rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating the hold that death has on every human being. And he's alive now and he offers a share in that same eternal life he has to those who trust in him. Jesus ascended into heaven and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, waiting for his Father to give him the right time to return to bring peace on earth, to do that thing the shepherds heard about on that amazing night. Comprehensive peace on earth. Friends, if these things are true... And I believe they are. If these things are true, all people everywhere need to hear about them. If these things are true, and I believe they are, all people everywhere, including you, need to respond to Jesus the right way. Because you'll either be part of his new world, or you'll be condemned and refused entry into his new creation. Why? That sounds pretty awful. It is pretty awful. Why? Because we're sinners because we fall short of God's standards. If we're honest with ourselves, we know it's true. We need God's undeserved generosity to us and how he's shown it by sending his son to die for us so we could be part of that new creation, part of his kingdom, peace on earth. There's three responses you could probably make to what I've said today. The first one is you could accept Jesus as Lord and Saviour. I know at least some of you, possibly many of you, have already done that, and I hope you're going strong, continuing to trust and serve Jesus. I hope that you know him. I hope you're encouraged today by that wonderful peace on earth that awaits you in God's kingdom. I hope you'll keep trusting Jesus. And if you've never accepted Jesus, I'd love it if you wanted to do that today. I've got a prayer in the moment that I'll I'll lead us through if you wanted to do that. Um, we'll, We'll get to that in a minute. The second thing you could do is reject Jesus, couldn't you? Maybe you won't say it as honestly as that. Maybe you will. Maybe you feel angry at Jesus. I don't know. I'm happy to talk things through with anybody. But I do need to say that if what we've said is true and Jesus is going to bring comprehensive peace on earth and he's the saviour and he's the judge and he's the Lord, then rejecting Jesus if those things are true is foolish at the end of the day. It's something that you need to be very certain about if you're going to reject Jesus. Because we're not just talking about rejecting a winning lottery ticket here. We're talking about rejecting a place in God's eternal kingdom. So I would urge you, if you're in the reject Jesus box, to at least do number three. Which is start a process of investing, investigating Jesus seriously. 
Um, I think you'd be astonished if you haven't looked at it before. The kind of, um, <laughs> on every issue, um, the kind of serious adult thinking there is on Jesus, about the amount of serious historical academic stuff there is on Jesus. I don't know what floats your boat and where you're at kind of thinking through the issues, but there's stuff out there. There's ways of thinking this through. One of the ways that's really great is um, Stuart over here who's been leading, is the rector in, of, of this parish and has, sometimes leads a um, Jesus for the Curious course, which is basically sitting down with a bunch of people and just going through Mark's gospel, it's another account of Jesus, and just going through the ideas. Well, who is Jesus? What, what's he about? What does he say? So people can get a clearer idea of who Jesus is and then you're in a position to reject or accept him, aren't you? When you, when you really think it through properly as, uh, as thinking adults. Uh, the other place you can do it is you can come to church on Sunday. This week on Sunday, I will be preaching about how you can have assurance that you're part of God's kingdom. Might be relevant. <laughs> it's pretty closely related to this, really. Friends, there is actually a fourth response, though. There is a response which is actually false confidence that needs to be exposed. Friends, this is too important to mince words, and I, uh, I love you, and I'm going to say what's best for you from where I stand and what I'm convinced about. Um, I fear that a lot of people are convinced they've done number one. They've accepted Jesus, but really, they've done number two. <laughs> they've rejected Jesus without admitting to themselves that this is the case. Friend, if Jesus for you is just a religious holiday thing. I'm very glad you're here. But this is probably true of you, number four, if Jesus is just a religious holiday thing. And you should either do number one or number three. If you think you can be a Christian privately on your own, never go to church, it might be true of you as well, because actually the Bible never lets us have that option. For a lot of reasons I can't go into now. If you think Jesus will accept you because you're a pretty good person, a pretty decent person, and and you should accept me by rights because I'm pretty good and I try really hard, then this is most definitely you, number four. And you need to turn to Jesus and ask him for mercy. Friends, let me tell you about my faith. um, I'm a sinful man who desperately needs a saviour. That's right at the centre of my faith. I have nothing in my hands that I can bring to God and say, how about this? Does this give me some extra points for heaven? doesn't work that way. I've got nothing but ashes in my hand. But I do have a very, very merciful saviour who offers freely salvation into his kingdom for all who trust him. It's an extraordinary offer. It's too good to be true, except it's true. <laughs> I'd urge you to respond to Jesus and to know that salvation and that hope. If you want to do that today, I've got a prayer on the screen, which it is on that, and you can actually read it, can you? Let me read it through with you. Um, here's, here's the sort of thing you'd pray to start that being on Jesus' side, naming him your Saviour and your Lord today. Um, you could pray something like, and we will pray this in a minute, um, Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the Saviour who will bring peace on earth. I admit that I'm a sinner and do not deserve to be part of your kingdom. Please forgive me. Please accept me because Jesus has taken away my sins by dying on the cross. Amen. You notice that last one. We ask for God's forgiveness, but why do we ask for it? We don't say, please accept me because I. We say, please accept me because Jesus. That's, that's the fundamental difference.
Um, if you would like to pray this today, I'm going to pray through and I'm going to leave lots of space in between each praying each line so you can pray privately in your own head to God right now. So uh, would you uh, bow heads with me and we'll pray, pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to be the saviour who will bring peace on earth. I admit that I'm a sinner and do not deserve to be part of your kingdom. Please forgive me. Please accept me because Jesus has taken away my sins by dying on the cross. Amen.